You're now tuned into the Fully Booked Podcast with Mace, French and Pox. Enjoy the listen. Where to go? Tell me where to go. Welcome to the Fully Booked Podcast. You have myself, Mace, French, myself, Andrew, and you're tuned into the Psychology of Money, season 16. This is the book review. So maybe, normally I don't start. Shall I kick off with this book review? If you want. It's just because I don't ever start on the book review. No worries, it's fine. Start it. Cool. All right. Say it off. So the Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. <clears throat> Doing well with money isn't necessarily about what you know. It's about how you behave. This was the first tagline which caught my eye and got my attention. It's on the back page, which is where I tend to navigate to before I open the first page of a book. Great. So let's see if I fit in with, with one of Morgan Housel's 19 short stories in the book. I don't so far. Here you go. <laughs> the opening chapter is called No One's Crazy, and it's a great segue into the rest of the book. Why? Because it explains a few key things to fuck a lot looking at man, brother. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> you got your hands on your pants looking at man. Yo, pause. Yo, what's going on here? What's going on here, brother? What's going on here? Pause, 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 pause. The opening chapter is called. Please. The opening. I know. Look that way, bro. All right. The opening chapter is called "No One's Crazy," and it's a great segue into the rest of the book. Why? Because it because it explains a few key things to help you understand why some behave the way they do and others don't. I've noted a couple of these. So, depends on the area you were born in and have lived through. <coughs> might and I say might determine how much you're into saving or spending or investing. This could be down to how the market and inflation behaved during your teenage years and the 20s and what outputs you either saw the benefit or non-benefit of. As with the aforementioned, your parents may or may not have seen the benefits of investments, thus influencing your decision making. Investments in stocks, in stocks are a relatively new thing when we look at the, at the grand picture. In that respect, everyone is a novice and we're all kind of still working out as we go along. As the book moves on through the chapters, there are several stories or takeaways within each to help drive home the meaning and learning from that specific chapter, as well as some invaluable one-liners, which, if not used for anything else, could be great starters for a dialogue debate amongst friends, associates, or even strangers. Chapter two, luck and risk, contains a couple of my favorites. One, the customer is always right and customers don't know what they want, are both accepted accepted business wisdoms wisdoms two the line between inspiringly bold and foolishly reckless can be a millimeter thick and only visible with hindsight besides the stories there were just there were just general life principles and ethics the book taught such as in chapter three's never enough in relation to the dangers of comparing your achievements and wealth to another person's along with the key values of life and what's really important reputation friends family freedom and happiness <coughs> chapter 13 room for error really resonated with with me and i think it should for most if not all of mankind room for error room for error can be applied to any discipline in life not just financial although it seemed to be so appropriate when linking it with money it's all it's all about planning for the unexpected for the unexpected in life why because believe it or not there is an amount of unpredictability in life that not even the greatest historian scholar or investment broker can foresee it's both a beauty and a beast depending on the effects it has on you personally when unpredictability comes knocking at life at life store 
I really, really like the book's ease of reading, like honesty. For a book with the title The Psychology of Money, you may expect some complexities in the understanding of numbers and how investments and stock portfolios work. But actually, whilst the book does name drop some of the big players and heavy hitters when it comes to financial wealth, e.g. Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos et al., along with some big numbers running into the eight, nine, ten figures and beyond, the book did not lose me in the slightest. And for the first time in a long time with a book, I found myself eager to know what the next page had in store. So on to the drawbacks of the book. I actually really like the book, so finding neg- negatives or things I wasn't so impressed with is like telling KFC how to improve their finger licking recipe, which has been successful over, which has been successful over the years. However, one thing that I found contradictory was the fact that the book mentions Warren Buffett. And yes, whilst he was witty, astute and successful and had the degree of luck that any businessman with that kind of accumulated wealth needs, the book, not me, we have to, the book saying it's not me, we have to remember he's a phenomenon. So when the book mentions how he managed to get wealthy and stay wealthy, it's a fair bit easier with the amount of wealth he has in comparison to someone with, say, a couple of million banked in cash and or assets. Once again, I'm nitpicking because I have to show I've done my due diligence for the listeners and provide an unbiased opinion. Overall, I give the book a solid 4.4 out of 5. And I would recommend it to anyone who wants to just improve their financial literacy and better themselves in life. Oh, sorry. And sorry, sorry, P, I know you was ready to go. And if I was to give a one-line conclusion, there's two I'd pick. Don't put all your eggs in one basket and plan for the unforeseeable what's planning. Plan for the foreseeable what's planning for the unforeseeable. Done. Oh, what a mason. So you go next? Yeah. The psychology of money. So let's play the name association game. Hmm. If you think psychology, you think brain, science, shrink. Think money, you think images of paper, currency, gold and so on. The name suggests a scientific viewpoint of money. The imagery of paper money in the shape of a horizontal plane angle viewpoint for a brain adds to this assumption. However, the intro takes you on a journey via an allegory and finishes with a wise lesson that carries through the book. A genius who loses control of their emotions can be a financial disaster. The opposite is also true. Ordinary folks with no financial education can be wealthy if they have a handful of behavioural skills that have nothing to do with formal measures of intelligence. Mm From this point, the stage is set to delve into the psyche of our behaviour with money. The intro further introduces you to an example of both sides of the spectrums, i.e. loud and lavish versus quiet and reserved, and the lessons to be garnered from them. From this point, my initial expectancy of scientific perspectives was removed and enjoyed the stories as they were presented. The book itself can be found under finance, investing and smart thinking, which in itself I believe is self-development. As the blurb says, doing well with money isn't necessarily about what you know. It's about how you behave and how we behave is an intelligence, whether IQ or EQ. The author writes from a point of someone who has both observed the effects of money on society's behaviour and historically found long-standing lessons which repeat over the years. In an interesting and compelling perspective, he shares, and can agree with most of the points suggested, although, as he points out, we all have our own perspective on what and how money works for us as individuals. So what may be right for one home, per se, won't be the same for you. Even still, with that said, it's interesting to read and how, why he's made those decisions at this stage, at this stage, whilst acknowledging they can and they can always be changed if and when necessary. 
One prime example of change is given on page 52. The, counter, the counterintuitive nature of compounding leads even the smartest of us to overlook its power. In 2004, Bill Gates criticised the new Gmail, wondering why anyone would need a gigabyte of storage. Author Stephen Levy, Stephen Levy wrote, despite his currency with cutting-edge technologies, his mentality, his, his mentality as anchored in the old paradigm of storage being a commodity that must be conserved. You never get accustomed to how quickly things can grow. I enjoyed the stories and easily followed the common thread throughout the book, which could be read as individual chapters. This book can be intended to most, if not all of us, as we're all affected by money, whether in Western society or not, as it's a tangible commodity that we've all agreed to believe in, which makes the world go round. It's an easy read and with well-developed ideas such as the trick when dealing with failure is arranging your financial life in a way that a bad investment here and a missed financial goal there won't wipe you out so you can, so you can keep playing until the odds fall in your favour. Or planning is important but most important part of every plan is to plan on the plan not, according, not going according to plan which may come across as a negative but there are many counterintuitive lessons of examples set out throughout the book. In the last summarising chapters, the author brings us behind the curtain and shows us his own portfolio. Not literally facts and figures, but essentially his playbook and the reasoning behind the past and current decisions he, he and his wife make. I applaud him for doing so, as most, and I say most loosely to clarify, won't give a state of play for their own goings on, but will suggest what you should do. But because of that, there are some things I do intend to do different. But as I stated, <clears throat> but as I stated, I agree with most of his principles. My main disagreement is being so cash heavy, especially in these times now. However, I can see the validity in being so for the, for the time being. It's a well-written book. I enjoyed it and would recommend anyone to buy it. It's worth a read and could spark great conversation between friends, family and your partner. Um, I've given it a 4 out of 5. Do you know what I was going to... I forgot to raise this. When we were going through the book um, and one of your last points where he spoke about um, cash and having cash and being cash heavy. Mm -hmm. It's such a like... It's it's a messed up thing in society. Not in society, but... If you want to buy a place, you have to have saved a certain amount of cash. Do you get what I'm saying? Unless you've made an investment that's gone up you've pulled that out to then plug it into the property yeah, yeah. so it's, it's, it's crazy and I, I understand it that like if you've just got money sitting there it's work it's probably the worst thing you can do rather than putting it in something but at the same time unless you you've got you know how to do little short term money money moves six months ahead and take that on you you've got a confidence it's going to grow in that time you've got to kind of just let it sit somewhere mm-hmm. if, if that if you know you've got a goal yeah and you want it, you want, and you want to be able to achieve that goal. And you know how much you have to save a month, and you're not, you're not willing to take a risk to, to make that pot um, increase, knowing that there's a chance it could also go the other way. No, good. good review, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Usually, I have my headphones on, um, but I've taken them off. <clears throat> um. Anyway, any, any reason? No, not really. I just thought I'd fancy to taking them off for a moment or two. I was going to ask you why four point four out of five. I actually wrote down four out of five, and then when I got to finishing it to finishing up my review, I was like, no, nah, he deserves a little bit more. Okay, cool. I just didn't understand the four. 
Um, but anyway, the point four. Yeah, yeah. I I just added that in last. Honestly, if you read, I've put four out of five. Okay, that's through an extra point four. Okay, I'm ready to rock and roll. Um, I'm going to give this book a four. Oh, here we are. Let me start again. I'm going to give this book a four point five. Um, I listen to it, which makes a difference to what I'm going to say next. Um, I don't think it was riveting. Yeah, I don't think it was riveting, but I think I may have been gripped. A tad more had I read it. But on the book, I think it's one of the most important books of our time, where managing money has become increasingly important. Just as with our previous seasons, they share links. I like the way he structured the book. He explained in the introduction that many people don't finish books on one subject, so the, so the chapters in the book can be read and will make sense in isolation. I think the psychology of money is a must-read. Not once, not twice, three times, but even four times. I think that's really, really important. The book is a mentor. Which sorry, the book is a, the book is a mentor. You wish you had a lot earlier. The That's book recounts point. history and behavior, which is important. The importance of money, and I say behavior because a woman once told me, "Money's not bad. It's not the problem. It's people." It might be difficult. It might be a difficult read for young for a young person, but I would hundred percent recommend it, as it will teach you valuable monetary lessons and even life lessons, mm. and save you time in the long run <coughs> from making mistakes even I made. Examples which aren't new. So examples, which aren't new. Regretting studies, sorry, regretting studying courses and career paths, choices you made early in life. It's that which I thought was interesting. 29% of stay-at-home mums have a degree. An adult removes a tattoo as a teenager, sorry, an adult removes a tattoo a teenager wants. And the same goes for relationships and lifestyles. Speaking a little to, the seeds and decisions you make today will affect you tomorrow, but also that you will change, grow from maturity. Compounding works best when you give yourself years and decades to grow. And finally, our needs, wants, and whys are completely different to everyone else, doing things short-term or long-term. This goes into employment and also investing. Further notes I'll, sorry, further notes I liked were the price of success, sorry, fertility. Validity? Yeah. Not fertility. Validity. Volatility. Oh. Anyway, volatility. Um, find the price, understand it, and then pay it. Wealth is the accumulated leftover what you spend and is built on efficiency and frugality frugality sorry one of the most powerful ways to raise your savings so the one of the most powerful ways to raise your savings isn't to earn more is to raise your humility learning to be happy with less money creates a gap between what you have what you have and what you want saving isn't saving isn't sorry saving saving for something is cool but in a predictable world it's needed saving provides flexibility intelligence is not an advantage well this is quite important to me well I thought it was cool at the time. Intelligence is not an advantage anymore. There's loads of smart people. Flexibility is though. Flexibility provides you with the opportunity to be patient, among other things. Getting money and keeping money are two different things. Getting money requires taking risks and keeping money requires humility, frugalness and a survival attitude. Think on long term. Compounding. Being unbreakable. Plan on the plan, not going according to plan. A good plan is one that can survive reality. The reality of ups and downs, for example, 9-11 and COVID, taking everything into account. And room for error is one of the underappreciated forces because when things are going right, they are going according to plan. Anyway, and my final one, a margin of safety increases your chance of survival. Considering some of the recent events and choice, considering some of the recent events and history, I think it's a must read, if anything, to remind you and realign you. My review. But just adding to that um obviously i know very recently i began obviously reading the hundred year life and 
obviously I love the book. I, I think it's a really, really good read. And I think it's something that I will read again, obviously going forward. But I think with my read with The 100 Year Life, I think it adds a bit more context really as to the importance of money management as in that I think sometimes we can not be bogged down, but we can live too much in the present actually. In fact, I don't know what the argument is. We live too much in the future. We live too much in the present. But I think sometimes we can be caught in the present as to what we have or what we're doing. And we completely forget that in 20, 30 years time, like for example, in our position, when we get to retirement age, we're going to have what we need. When in reality, the average pension fund or pot is about 50 grand. And depending on obviously what you're doing at that moment in time, if you're the average person, 50 grand is not going to last you a very, very long time. And again, if you're, not if you're using examples, but there are examples out there of people who are having to work at the age of 70 plus because they don't have enough money or their pension is not covering them for what they need. And with the expenses and things going up and up and up, things are only going to make it a bit more difficult. And obviously with, I guess what, well, the, the idea behind the 100 year life is that we're going to live a lot longer. So if you're born in the 80s, you're likely to live to about 100. If you're retiring at 70, 50 grand is going to, have to last you about say, 30 years. That's going to be extremely, really, that's going to be extremely difficult. And even lasting as well, despite all the things that were said in the book, I think everyone can have... No, I think no. I think you need to understand that, um, like getting through difficult times. In fact, that's why it's difficult. It's going to take you a period of time to get out of here, whether you're in debt or otherwise, student debt, um, credit card debt, and all those type of stuff. Um, yeah, but like, understand that if you are in a position where you are struggling, you actually may have financial literacy, but you're currently going through a difficult period, and I guess. Like, it may seem that there's a lot of people out there who don't have the financial literacy, but they actually do. The problem is that expenses and things of that nature are currently through the roof. And that's the reason why a lot of people are currently in a hole. And I guess that's kind of what I wanted to say, really, just to kind of put out there. You may feel that you don't have the, the education. You do have the education. It's just that things are currently difficult at this moment in time. And that's it, really. Cool. Nice good. Well, well done. We're going to put some yeah, applause. Some points. Some good points on there. Is too home, but okay. <laughs> Sweet. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. Thank you for listening, guys. As per usual, the socials and all of that. Full underscore E underscore booked. Fully booked podcast, Mace, French and Pots. Cool, much appreciated. Share, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. And Peace. like. Yeah, definitely like. And we'll see you in season 17. Peace. Peace.